0: The NBA finals start tonight, Denver Nuggets, Miami Heat. What a finals it's going to be. What can the Pacers learn from this? How these teams were built, how they play, the themes from their success in the postseason. We'll talk about all that today and more on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome edition of the Lockdown Pacers Podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we're talking about the NBA Finals. It begins tonight. It's the Denver Nuggets. It's the Miami Heat. It's gonna kick, but I cannot wait. The two best players in the postseason for my money facing off against each other and it's going to be a blast and it all starts tonight what can the Pacers learn from this how these teams were built what's key about their construction what's key about the way that they play Tyrese Halliburton I asked him about the playoffs a little bit at the draft combine we'll talk about his comments as well there's just a lot to get to as it relates to this finals and selfishly thrilled that a Hoosier is getting a championship. Thomas Bryant's on the Nuggets. Oladipo and Zeller are on the Heat. I could not be happier to see that selfishly, but we'll see how it ultimately goes. I picked the Nuggets in six. I've also done a terrible job predicting series in this postseason. Let's start with how these teams were constructed because there's a lot of interesting things. The Heat kind of break the traditional norm of team building, and yet they have a lot of things that they do that are talked about as common things. They just do them better. I actually want to start with them. What can the Pacers learn about how the Heat were built, or is there any themes in these two teams' constructions that Indiana could copy? You look at the Heat, and I would say the top-level things they have done well. One is very opportunistic sign-in trades, and this sort of relates to being an appealing team to play for. Being in Miami certainly helped. Jimmy Butler wanting to go there from Philly certainly helped, although Philly kind of botched that. Kyle Lowry wanting to go there when leaving Toronto certainly helps because in a sign and trade, the player has to want to go there still. But being in a position to utilize sign and trades to get two very good players is great. It's fantastic. You don't have to give up as much, right? They trade Josh Richardson, uh Mo Hargless, Hassan Whiteside, a first-round pick. You get Jimmy Butler. Oh my gosh, that's great, but it's because. They don't want to lose Jimmy Butler for nothing, right? The Raptors don't want to lose Lowry for nothing. They get pressure Achua and Goran Dragic. The Heat did a great job being opportunistic and, of course, being attractive enough to those players to actually get them. They were ascending when they got Jimmy. They were, of course, uh, looking good when they got Kyle Lowry, right? It makes sense how it all happened. It's just important that they utilized those resources of sign-in trades to make this happen. And that's sort of a theme for me with the Heat in general is how good they are at utilizing their own resources to build their team whether that's undrafted players whether that's all their picks I mean you look at their draft history since 2015 have they wasted a pick I mean Justice Winslow they end up flipping for like three good wings that helped them get to the finals in 2020 hero bam traded bull bull for some stuff and I forget who uh, Nikola Jovic will see their their most recent first round pick I'm sure he'll be an MVP candidate in a few years given their history like they just nail these picks they nail their fringe signings, they nail the opportunistic stuff of sign-and-trades, like, they just built their team really methodically, I think the sign-and-trades are the high-level thing to me, because it got them their best players, but you, again, you point to their drafting, it is, of course, extremely solid, right, with all the players I just named, Hero and Bam, Late Lottery, Achua, 20th, Justice Winslow, pretty late in the first round, like, they just use all their assets perfectly, and then, they get Kevin Love for nothing. They get Depot for basically nothing. Their timing of all those moves are great. And the undrafted core they have. I mean, look, every team wants to find good undrafted players like Dwayne Washington, maybe. The Pacers' best undrafted success of late. But, I mean, Heat he just... Uh, it's unbelievable. Even look compared to Denver, how much they're getting out of this group. And this is the hardest to replicate thing. Right? You can be opportunistic. You can be attractive to good players. You can make good sign-in trades. It is impossible not impossible. The Heat did it, but it's very rare to just like, oh, we found five playoff rotation players that weren't considered top 60 guys in their class, right? This is the Heat are amazing at this, right? Max Struess. I just said his last name wrong. <laughs> Max Strus, Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson, Haywood Heisman, and Caleb Martin, all undrafted. Some of them starting with other teams in the Heat, recognizing their talent and scooping them up. That's really hard to do and very impressive. So you look at the stuff the Heat do well, if you just kind of had to Elevator pitch it. They use their assets extremely well and their timing and opportunisticness, not a word, but you get what I'm saying, is so strong and, and such a weapon for them to build their team. Then you go to Denver. And I don't, I, I made that transition sound like the Nuggets are bad at team building. They're not. Tim Conley's a great exec. Calvin Booz is really, really witty, but they did it a lot more traditionally. They picked Jokic 41. Obviously, that's not traditional. Getting an MVP that late in the draft is, is, not traditional, but the traditional thing I mean is they drafted really well and then built around that, right? Jokic, of course, and then Murray and and uh, Michael Porter, of course, those strong picks. Now they have an identity set. We know Jokic is great. We're going to be this offensive team. Let's build out from there. They tried a lot of stuff, right? Gary Harris, if you'll remember, Paul Millsap, if you'll remember, Will Barton, Monty Morris. They had stuff that was good. They were good. They made the conference finals in the past. They had good players. For years and years, they had interesting young talent, but never just like quite the right stuff like they went for Ananobi that one year when they traded back and then ended up with Tyler Lydon. Like they have not had perfect steps. They had not had perfect drafting, but they've done pretty well finding the right vets and ones that kind of helped them figure out what they needed around their core, right? Well, Barton, pretty good, but you need a little bit more shooting maybe from that two guard spot like a Gary Harris, but they needed a little bit more than Gary Harris. And oh, look, KCP is the perfect fit perfect fit Paul Millsap was good for them but they needed a little more a lot more (laughs) defense at the four spot hey look Aaron Gordon's available another perfect fit right and and it's not that their old veterans were bad it's that they learned what they needed from the position they need a little bit more of this or that and that's something the Pacers can learn from Uh, from the heat perspective there's a lot of stuff but that's something the Pacers can learn from is like you don't have to nail all of the positions that for the next great Pacers team right this second. Like if they get a four and that player's good, but not great, they can still figure out what the f- the perfect four for their team construction is. And I think that is equally valuable to getting good players on your team, potentially, assuming you get the right player in the future, but just slowly adding stuff was good Monty Morris, another example of this. Uh, they're still kind of in need of the right backup five, but they've kind of found some some ways to get away with backup center minutes that aren't necessarily huge they tried DeAndre Jordan they tried Thomas Bryant they tried much more serious and better candidates in past seasons seems like they should just be doing Zeke Nagy but whatever they don't need backup centers right now in the playoffs so who cares Uh, either way that is something they've done well is once they got their identity they built out very well from the beginning of that to the end and I think that is noble and impressive and kind of hard to do so credit to the Nuggets for finding the right vets, getting everybody in the right seats on the bus after, you know, your Millsaps, your Gary Harris's, your Will Barton's were good but not perfect. So all of this to say, as I slowly describe, two exceedingly different team builds, there is no one path to do it. There are better things, like they both drafted well and got really good players in the draft, and that helps you build out from there, but there's not a best path. There is just finding the talent, uh, you know, finding your Jimmy Butler, finding your Jokic, whatever, finding your top end talent, establishing that you have that. Build an identity from that. For the Nuggets, it was shooting in defense. Well, they didn't shoot well in the regular season this year. For the Nuggets, it was having the best offensive player on the planet and playing off of him. And then go from there. And so for the Pacers, you could say that they are finding the talent and building the identity. They're at the beginning parts of this, but if you're just looking at the high-level themes, the Pacers are kind of on the path, right? Now it's about... I think they need a little more talent. I think everybody knows that. But once they have it, which they could have it in a month from now. It's June now. Can you believe that? Building an identity from the talent that they have. They have that with Halliburton. But what other guys can they get in that are good and help accentuate that? And then surrounding whoever those players are with the right pieces. It's not an overnight thing. It's a couple-year process. But that is key to me. And so for the Pacers, the questions are, if you want to look at these rosters and just kind of big picture it, who is there? you know, whatever, Kyle Lowry. I mean, Lowry has not been with the Heat wanted, but he's been good. He's not even starting, and he's been good. Who is their Kyle Lowry? Who's their Michael Porter Jr., right? Who is that guy going to be for them, that extra helpful piece? And maybe it's who's their Bam or who's their Murray, and they're a little farther away. That's fine if you if you want to think that way, too, and maybe you don't think Matherin's going to be that guy, or maybe you don't think they have anyone even close to ready that role, or Turner's not there, and I would be receptive to hearing that. It's just, who are those names for the Pacers? That is what they need to figure out so they can add the talent, build their identity, and then find the right pieces all around it. Hope that all makes sense. And there's some themes from these two teams that I want to dive into in terms of their roster, their build, all sorts of interesting things to me about it that are potentially relevant to the Pacers as they build their team going forward. Forward. Before we do that, though, got to talk to you guys about FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now, new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, they have great promotions every day over at FanDuel. Their app is safe and secure. You can get paid your money instantly. There's no better place to bet all the NBA finals action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit fanduel.com slash lockdown. Get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's fanduel.com slash lockdown. Fanduel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pistons your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, I'll suggest the final teams in the second segment. For now, head over to Lockdown Pistons with Kuka Hill, one because Ku's wife just had to have surgery and a procedure. And uh, wishing the best for Koo, he kills it covering that Pistons team. I want him to have all the support he possibly can via listeners and donations to a GoFundMe you can find on his Twitter feed. But two, the Pistons hired a coach, Monty Williams. Uh, Monty Williams, six-year with two-team option years. It sounds like from the reporting to go to Detroit. Wow, they really offered him something there. Koo will have the latest on Monty Williams in Detroit. Home run hire for the Pistons. Home run to me as a division opponent for the Pacers. They do not want to see that. Finals talk for the Pacers. We just talked about how the Heat and Nuggets were built. What do they have similarly on their teams that has caught my eye this playoffs that I think the Pacers need to be jotting down in a notebook somewhere, stashing it away, remembering, hey, these two finals teams didn't necessarily have this or they had a lot of this. And You can even apply this to some of the teams that did well that aren't in the finals. Your Lakers, your Celtics, your Suns, your Sixers, whatever. The first thing I would say is I keep seeing this. Look, I love Cody Zeller. He went to IU, obviously. Cody Zeller doing well. Who's the backup five for the Nuggets? If you're listening, do you know the answer? I I, I watched the Nuggets. I understand. They don't really have one in the postseason, right? Like De- DeAndre Jordan has played three games, three and a half minutes per game. Zeke Nagy's played four games at three minutes per game. Thomas Bryan hasn't played. It's not a backup center. It's a four playing the five. It's Bruce Brown. It's Michael Porter Jr. It's someone else. It's not a five. It's Aaron Gordon more often than those guys. Whatever. You get what I'm saying. For the Heat, Cody Zeller, sometimes he barely played like three total minutes in games six and seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, It's Haywood Highsmith sometimes. Sometimes also he doesn't play in games. It's Kevin Love sometimes. All this to say, backup center exceedingly unimportant to these teams. And if they need somebody, they could just plunk a minimum guy out there. Cody Zeller, go for it. They got him mid-season. They got him at the buyout line. Timing, excuse me, basically. DeAndre Jordan, minimum guy. Lakers, backup fives have been minimum guys forever. Although well, they probably need a little bit more at the five, honestly. Celtics break this trend a little bit because they've got Horford and Rob Williams. But in general, you don't need a lot of force at that spot. Now, granted, these teams have excellent starting centers. So they don't need to scrap and claw for a lot of minutes at those spots. I think that's important to know. But if you have a five who could just set good screens and move around on defense, that might be enough, especially if they can execute your scheme. Like Zach Lowe's talking about this in the low post. All he wanted to see from the Heat is like two good plays from one of Zeller or Highsmith. And that would be good enough for the Heat because they can play Bam the rest of the game. Like you don't need that much from the backup five spot, especially if your starter is really good Horford being old. Kind of influences what the Celtics do. They tried Blake Griffin earlier in this playoffs, right? Kind of same deal there. It was a big storyline. They couldn't get Grant Williams to work. These aren't all centers, but you get what I'm saying. Post-ish kind of players. The Lakers AD was every other game. That's why center became important. For them, I'm talking too much about this, but backup center... Yeah, it's important that the player plays well in that role, but it's not like these teams have invested heavy resources into it, and it's not like there aren't other ways to get around it. It's not like you have to prioritize this position. The Pacers currently have three backup centers, all of whom seem like they need a little bit more than what they're getting. This isn't to say the Pacers should just give up on any of Tice, Jackson, or Smith. This is just to say the importance of that player come playoff time might be less than it seems right now. Now, if any of them can pop and explode and become... You know, your Robert Williams, for example, uh, or someone else, you know, who the Suns were getting a lot of Jock Landale success, right? Whatever. You, you can point to a number of things. Yeah, it's not to say that backup center is unimportant. Any of those players playing well would be significant for the Pacers. Daniel Tice himself was significant for a finals team two years ago. But I have been noticing that there's not a there's less backup center investment, especially from these two teams. And I want to note that and jot it down and remember it going forward. Look. The wings thing has been talked about a lot, but it's important for the Pacers to note exactly what's going on on the wing for both of these finals teams. They just have bodies on bodies on bodies. It's like every sub who comes in for every team that made it far in the postseason was a a forward. I mean, we just talked about forwards playing center for the Nuggets as their backup five instead of Jokic, right? And so you look at these teams on the wing rotation. The Heat, Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, Caleb Martin, right? Jimmy Butler. And I accidentally typed Gabe Vincent. That's not who I meant to type, but they have wings on wings on wings. They had Depot. They had hero. They're both hurt and they're still getting enough from their wing spots, right? They just have wings on wings on wings to throw out there when they make a sub. Here comes Caleb Martin. Oh, he's really good. That, that That's frightening. Here comes Duncan Robinson, who they somehow pull off the scrap heap and make look amazing every postseason. Like they they just have wings, And it's known that that size of player is important. The Pacers know it. They've said it on the record. They need forwards. They need wing depth. But just seeing it, seeing what comes in for these teams every game, the subs for the Heat being Duncan Robinson, Kyle Lowry, Haywood, Highsmith, Cody Zeller, whatever, size on on the wing specifically is important. Denver, hey, same thing. Murray's going to play 40 minutes. Jokic is going to play 40 minutes. Their eight-minute backups aren't wings. The rest of their team can all kind of play the wing. Or the forward spots. Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter, KCP, Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, Christian Brown. I mean, they just have wing-sized bodies to throw out there. And I think that is important. It's, it's not even that that player has to play amazing. They're just the right size to allow for scheme versatility or to disrupt something. Or just to ha- to, to keep your team, not have your team be size disadvantaged whether that's on the glass or to get overrun defensively, whatever. There's a million ways to look at the value of wings from a zoomed-out perspective, but there's just so many. They just have a lot. It's a pri- It was clearly a priority for these teams to get them. The Nuggets went into the tax to get Bruce Brown. He's been awesome for them. In fact, he's a free agent this summer. Pacers should maybe consider that one. Excuse me. But in general, this is a theme for good teams. Look at the players the Suns changed to when they all of a sudden started winning. In the postseason, their big rotation change was like, okay, we got to stop getting cute with this. Just throw the wings in a, as our bench. Tory Craig, TJ Warren, Terrence Ross, go, go, go. We can't mess around with these guards anymore. We can't mess around with these bigs anymore. We don't know what the deal with Bianca is. Who cares? Let's get the wings in there. Okoji, you're playing a little more. Tory Craig, TJ Warren, Terrence Ross, they're playing more, right? The Celtics have wings on wings on wings, and they don't have as lot a lot of as much depth to like be creative rotationally, I would say, but in general, they always have big wing-sized guys on the floor. Even their point guards, smart, white, uh, Brogdon, whoever's taking it up, wing-sized guy, right? You could go on and on through these teams. The Lakers have a lot of wing-sized dudes and just size in general. It's important. It's been important for these teams to have success, and it's important going forward that the Pacers get more guys at this spot. This has been known forever. This is going to be the most important thing the Pacers try to figure out this month. How do they get wings? How do they get size around Tyrese Halliburton, you can look at their depth chart now and say eight of their 11 players under contract next year are not wings, depending on what you think of Buddy Heald, right? Halliburton, Nemard, McConnell, Heald, Matherin, guards, right? Turner, Smith, Jackson, Tice, Biggs. That's eight of their 12 players under contract. Neesmith, Duarte, Jordan Wara. That is the size, but not the talent level, right? They need a little bit more I actually counted wrong that's nine of their 12 players who are guards and bigs with those three guys being your forwards and and maybe Nismith can be starter quality but you're really searching for a lot more there and you're seeing what having depth and starter quality players and a lot of them has done for these teams that have reached the finals it's not a secret the Pacers need more depth at those spots and maybe if they can trade a big to do it which no team is trading a wing for a big right now it's not just like A trade that exists but if it's possible they should try to do it because looking at their roster imbalance that is something they desperately need to do we'll talk about free agency starting next week position by position we'll get to the wings and fours third and fourth in that series i want to talk about how these teams play as well what can the pacers learn from the way the Nuggets play, the way the Heat play on the court, what is important? And what did Tyrese Halberton say about the way playoff teams in general are playing and what the Pacers can learn from that? Let's close out with today's show because I thought Halberton's comments were very interesting. Thank you as always for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Like I mentioned earlier, hop on over to Lockdown Nuggets or Lockdown Heat for the official finals previews. Lockdown NBA did one as well with Pat the Designer and Nick Engstad too here. Everything you want to know ahead of the NBA Finals. Man, is this going to be a good series, I think. Two really smart tactical teams. Spolster's a genius. Jokic is a genius. It's going to be an absolute blast. How do these teams play? What are they doing so well in the postseason to to beat teams? It's a one seed and an eight seed. Unique things going on here. Well, to, to talk about that at first, I'm going to talk about talking to Tyrese Halbert. We saw him at the draft lottery, and there were questions about, being on stage and the lottery and all that, you know, the the experience for the stories. But I also wanted to ask him about other stuff, right? Dustin DePierre was asking about his vacation with Buddy Yield, which was funny. Um, Scott asked him a lot about, you know, you weren't at the 2020 draft. What was this experience or the lottery? Excuse me, because there wasn't one because of COVID. What was this experience like for you? All that kind of stuff. And we were all asking other questions about those things. But one I, one thing I wanted to know about was the postseason. What is he watching in the postseason? What is he kind of learning? So first of all, I asked about watching the postseason. He says, Tyrese Halliburton said, I watch every playoff game. I text back and forth with Carlisle, LP, Ron, Chad, KP, all series, every game, it feels like, because it's somewhere I want to be. Yeah, we know the Pacers want to make the playoffs. That's not the significant part. But watching every game, texting with, that's Rick Carlisle for the, I used a lot of abbreviations there, Rick Carlisle, Lloyd Pierce, Ron Norad, Chad Buchanan, and Kevin Pritchard. Like That is the trust. That is the group that has called him You know, into that group of potentialist decision makers for the Pacers. It's significant that he's doing that every single game. You know, he said, we know that's the goal, that being make the playoffs. So just watching and seeing how the game differentiates from regular season. I need to be in there. I need to be in the playoffs. That's the goal, right? So one, of course, he's watching and studying. That's the, I I would hope that's the case uh, for every player in the NBA that wants to make the playoffs that they're watching and studying it. But that, that last part was key, right? How does it differentiate from the regular season? What does that look like? And what does that mean for the Pacers? Well, he said, you just see the game become a lot more half court oriented. Us probably being the most tempo team in the NBA to be in the playoffs and succeed the playoffs, we'll have to play more of a half court style of basketball. But I feel like we're capable of it. Of course, every. Players are going to think their team is capable of it. That is not to dump on what Tyrese Hobarton said. But that is the big thing to take away here. The transition stuff the Pacers do is fantastic. It's a big part of their identity. I think if they played like that in the playoffs, it would go well. But you have to be able to play well when the game is slowed down in the playoffs because it is more slowed down. You have more of a game plan. You have more sets you want to implement. You have more schemes thrown at you defensively that cause you to stop and think. It's just a slower-paced game. And so... The Pacers, whose half-court offense was not great in the regular season. How did they figure that out? They were seventh-worst half-court offense, at least as of April 1st, uh, in the NBA, right? They were fantastic in transition. One of the best in the league. Their half-court offense was not great. Denver was awesome at a half-court offense in the regular season. And to, to, to put a bow on this, Pace in the regular season. Pacers, obviously, exceedingly fast. The Denver Nuggets in the regular season, Pace, 23rd. Slow-paced, half-court, bread and butter. They've practiced this over and over and over again. The Heat, obviously, I would care less about this because they made the finals before. I know their identity works. But they were 29th in pace, right? Slower-paced teams. They know how to play in the half-court. They know what it takes. They know how they're going to score in those situations. They're composed. They, they've seen it. They've seen the patterns. They've played together. They're ready for it. The Pacers are going to have I don't think they need to change their identity, right? Being up-tempo is not bad. But, but clearly they need more half court abilities if they're going to succeed in the postseason. These deep runs by these teams that are doing well, I think is important. And you look at the pace in general of these postseason teams, even in the playoffs, Denver ninth in pace of the 16 teams, Miami 10th, the Suns were eighth, the Lakers were seventh, the Celtics were 11th, right? None of these teams are playing slow. In fact, the slowest two teams in the postseason were the Cavs and the Nets, who had brutal first rounds. The fastest two teams in the, in the playoffs were the Kings and the Bucks, who also lost in the first round. The extremes are bad, but finding the right balance, having enough half court to go with your transition play is really important. And I think that has been shown by these teams, shown by what Halliburton was talking about, and in general is something the Pacers need to note. Is like, yes, maybe one season more, of just getting by with your transition play is fine. But at some point, you're going to have to be a much better half-court team if you want to have lots of, lots of success in the postseason. thought that was good comments from Halliburton. And of course, important to note here. Uh, look, this is another obvious thing. About to say a duh thing, if you think it's stupid, I'm sorry. Hey, look who's shooting well from deep in the playoffs. It's the Nuggets and it's uh, the Heat. I just almost said the Suns. It's the Nuggets and it's the Heat. The first place team in three-point percentage amongst the 16 playoff teams is the Heat at 39%. The second ranked team in three-point percentage in the postseason is the Denver Nuggets. Breaking news, making shots in basketball is important. So, of course, shooting is going to be something the Pacers need to focus on. I think they're an okay shooting team, but if you can, I think if you can just get shooters, you do it. (laughs) Like, you just do it. Buddy Heald's been valuable for them. For that reason, he added to them quite a bit. They were a threatening shooting team. They had a really good offense. Like they just a little bit more would help them. I think especially with their second unit next year, adding some shooting would be pretty valuable for the Pacers. Maybe Wara ends up there and maybe he's that guy. But in general, you see the shooting these teams have, especially when Caleb Martin's making everything. But you look at their the shooting from these teams in the postseason, Duncan Robinson, Caleb Martin, Depot's hitting 40%, Gabe Vincent's at 39 Kevin Love's hitting threes, Drew's hitting threes, Jimmy Butler's hitting threes. Kyle Lowry is the lowest percentage three-point shooter on the heat of guys who have actually made one. He's at 35%. That's fantastic, right? Denver, similarly, a lot of guys in that 35 to 47% range. Obviously, Jokic is running a little hot. But in general, shooting has been huge for these teams. Pacers obviously have good shooters. Every team values this. Tyrese Halliburton's a wonderful shooter. Buddy Heald's a wonderful shooter. Wore a shot well from three for them this past season. Turner shot decently well from through this past season. They have shooting at key positions, but more is always helpful. Making open shots, making the other team play in the half court, being able to play your game, imposing your will, just being a good shooting team is so valuable. It changes what the defense can do. It forces adjustments. You get the picture. I'm harping too much on a simple thing. Making shots is important, but the ripple effects from it also potentially equally important here. And another thing. And another thing I want to talk about, actually going back to paste, five of the six fastest teams of the 16 teams who made the playoffs, five of the six fastest in the playoffs lost in the first round, right? It's not that transition is gimmicky. That that kind of sells it short. Like transition play can be good. The Warriors are always playing really fast in the playoffs, for example. Now, obviously, they have one of the best movement shooters of all time, maybe two of them. But, it, you know, playing really fast is just you're kind of reliant on rebounding and turnovers and stuff that's important, but like less or so. And is a little more reliant on like missed shooting luck or just mistakes from not your team? Like there's a lot more to it. The slower side, obviously not looking great as well, but of the bottom six teams in pace, three of them got out of the first round as opposed to just one. And one of them made their conference finals. So like, it, it's not to say slower is better than faster, but you can just look at those numbers and kind of say, oh, maybe it's a little gimmicky, and that strategy doesn't work as well. In the playoffs, the last thing I want to point out about the Heat and the Nuggets stylistically is a focus for them this postseason. They are low turnover rate team, offensive four factors. In fact, the lowest turnover rate team is the Denver Nuggets. The second lowest in the playoffs has been the Lakers. Guess what? They made the conference finals. The fourth lowest is the Suns. The sixth lowest is the Heat. The seventh lowest is the Celtics. Obviously, more possessions is good. That has been proven true by these teams. Don't turn the ball over. How did the Celtics just lose game seven? Turnovers were a huge factor in their struggles in that game, but there's more to it now, obviously. And these teams consistently throughout the playoffs have taken care of the ball. The worst teams in turnover rate in this postseason Cavs, worst out in the first round. Knicks, second worst out in the second round. Nets, third worst out in the first round. Bucks fourth worst out in the first round. Warriors fifth worst out in the second round. Clippers sixth worst out in the first round. Timberwolves seventh worst out in the first round. You get the gist. Only the Grizzlies bucked the trend. They were fifth best and they lost in the first round. But you get the idea. And you can see from these teams just there's a lot of like intangible stuff. These squads are amazing at right. Everybody can look and see their poise. They never get hurried. All those things, those are important. Every team needs to learn to be poised, and that comes with experience, right? Both of these teams have made the conference finals before. The Heat have made the actual finals before. This is the Nuggets' first trip, but stylistically, they shoot it well. They know how to play in the half court. They know how to play with each other. Continuity could be a theme here, and the way they were built is just interesting and unique and suggests what the Pacers need to do is talent, identity, fit players, and then learn to play in the half court. Find your shooting, take care of the ball. There you go, 40 seconds. Just summed up everything else I said on this podcast. Tomorrow, back on the prospect grind, it's Grady Dick Day, the shooter from Kansas. We get into a little more than just his shooting. There's more to his game than that. But, spoiler alert, not my favorite player <laughs> in this draft. Next week, we'll do Jerris Walker and one of the prospect, TBD. And we'll start those free agency previews by position, looking at the point guard spot. In the shooting guard spot with the fifth episode. We'll figure it out. But you everydayers will of course get to hear all these episodes and know all about that. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. If you have any questions, you can hit me up on Twitter at Tony R East or this podcast at Locked On Pacers back tomorrow, talking Grady Dick back on the NBA Draft grind. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you then.